Good morning. This is Single Mother Talks. Today's episode is about self-care. No, I'm not going to tell you to take a bath and light some candles to make yourself feel better. Uh, We are going to discuss remedies. We're going to discuss um, more than the, the blanket term of you know, anxiety, depression, insomnia, uh, PTSD, all of that stuff. And when I'm talking about this stuff and I'm sharing my stories, it's so that you can sort of, uh, get an impression of me. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like a a neuroscientist and you want to know that they're a scientist when they talk about it. Right. So that you can sort of take what they say seriously. So as somebody who has had to really crawl out of a lot of holes and um, then I just I hope that you can do that to take me seriously to listen to me Um, because I don't buy into a lot of bullshit I don't I just I think that a lot of what's prescribed pardon me is really cheesy uh, and it's not real and it doesn't work and most of the time uh, people who are trying to help you it's more about manipulation you know, uh, or they don't really have your, it's not, it's not realistic enough. You know, when you, when you tell somebody that you are struggling with anxiety, it's like, what exactly, what exactly does that look like? Right. And too many people capitalize on this, (laughs) this flux of life coaches that seems to be sweeping, sweeping across the nation. Oh, if you're experiencing anxiety, you know, just put on some nice music and think happy thoughts and, Um, you know, take a moment and breathe and, you know, none of that bullshit. I never bought into that. It was just sort of like an eye roll to me. I'm like, come on. Like, do you even know what this looks like when it's happening? It's not pretty. It's not pretty. It is, you know, so what is, what is the real solution to the real moment of anxiety or depression or any of the things that I listed? So what I'm hoping to do is is do that is just really dive deep and talk about this in a way where a lot of people don't talk about it right it's like it's almost like cringeworthy you know when you say that you struggle with depression people like oh that sucks that's shitty and it's just like okay well what what do you mean what is that about what does your depression look like and what is a remedy for that like seriously I just want to give you some real answers, some real remedies. Um, And I'm going to share some of my real stories about, you know, some of the holes that I've had to climb out of. So just to uh, um, sort of brief you on who I am, right? Uh, I spent a great, obviously I'm a single mother (laughs) at 17. I spent a great deal of my life uh, alone and now I am probably more comfortable with solitude than I should be. <laughs> I don't feel lonely. I'm really, I, I really enjoy being alone. I actually prefer being alone most of the time. Um, and with my dogs, but we'll get into that later. Uh, there's a special reason for that, that it goes a little deeper than just having pets that love you. <laughs> um, so I have been on my own a lot and I created this pattern for myself in my life where I moved every year or two, right? The longest place I ever stayed somewhere was for six years. And um, I just because I was really getting on my feet and um, yeah, I can't really explain why. I, I guess I was just trying a lot, a lot of different things. And that was in um, Surrey, 
the Van the Vancouver area, really busy city. Um, first time that I've ever lived in, in a place that busy. But, you know, I had no problem. I even found it kind of exciting to just up and leave and restart and restart. You know, I felt like I was really good at rebuilding myself and being resourceful and being able to, um, you know, uh, and also I just really, I loved seeing new places and new things and experiencing new environments. And like, I loved exploring. Like, I swear to God, if I, you know, if I believed in past lives or something, I would say that I was, you know, a, a pioneer, an explorer. I was one of those people. I swear to God. So I developed this pattern for myself where, you know, I would up and move. And often um, it became a pattern where it was kind of in the middle of nowhere. And um, I, I noticed that the places I'd moved to became closer and closer to nature. It became more and more beautiful in terms of my, my environment and nature and, and where I was. So I was often in the bush alone and I lived on my own up until quite a while until my son was like seven or eight. Um, cause I preferred it that way. I think that if you can do that as a single mother, that's kind of the best way to go about things. Cause you're just, <laughs> it's so crazy during those first few years and the shit you got to figure out, whatever. The last thing you need is somebody, you know, being involved and judging you and watching you. You really need some privacy during that time to figure your shit out because there's nothing flattering about it. <laughs> so that's what I felt like. Um, so I went through a lot of isolation and I went through a lot of different changes and environments. Um, and then a lot of hurdles were thrown my way in terms of, you know, sometimes I could not you know, set myself up properly right away when I got there. Um, so I have gone through periods of, um, uh, I had insomnia, really bad insomnia. I think the worst my health has ever been is when I moved to Euclulet, which is like right by Tofino, a surfing town on the west uh, side of Vancouver Island. <clears throat> and I moved there right after I lived in Surrey for six years. So that was a culture shock. Euclulet is like a little, you know, a very small community and it's very wild there. Um, you kind of have to be a hardy person. Like now it would be no fucking problem for me and it would be comfortable. But I just came out of the city. I was clueless when it came to, you know, being self-sufficient, like out in the bush. No idea. But that's kind of the reason why I moved to the island because I wanted to learn these skills so it was a culture shock. Not only that, but but there it was weird because um, moving from a place in an environment like the city, okay, and I'm a very sensitive person to everything, right? And when I moved from that uh, environment, like like physically, like the weather, like you know everything about that environment, the air, the you know whatever, um, going to Euclid being right next to the sea, um, the kind of air there, the, the crashing waves, the, um, just the rawness of it. That was an adjustment for my body. Um, so I get there and I am a materialistic person at this point. I used to be very girly. I used to like wear, you know, lipstick every day, curl my hair every day, I used to tan pencil skirts, um, perfume and, 
cared about name brands I'm just like laughing recalling this because I'm the opposite the exact opposite now that I have actually realized the value in things and learned the lessons that I did but so it was very uncomfortable for me Um, I had also gone to the island to try to break up from you know somebody uh, that person (laughs) so um, I went through the worst Uh, period health-wise and what I was experiencing at this time was uh, insomnia I could not sleep I was cripplingly depressed and suffering anxiety and I got to a point where I was hallucinating Um, I was starving and so uh, you know I I can't remember how everything worked out there I think uh, I had a different bank and they only have a CIBC there and there's no Western Union and it's it's really out there. And the only way that you can, you know, get in contact with more of the, the big box stores is if you drive to Port, Port Alberni, which is a Port Alberni, which is a two hour drive from Euclulet. And I just remember being in this position where I had no money to be able to drive. I think my insurance ran out. Um, my bank, uh, HSBC at the time, was not in Euclulet, so I had to change banks and they had closed my account and I went through all these all of these complications and I lived on like the outskirt in this little log cabin um, of town and so it was I was just in a position where I only had enough food and resources to take care of my son right so I was making sure that he got fed but I starved um, myself as a result of that and like I was living on uh, potatoes and oatmeal I think what it, that's what it was. Um, I lost so much weight. Um, so it was so bad, right? And I was trying to use, and I mean, what, what does, what exactly do I mean, right? Um, what does depression look like, right? I had zero motivation to get out of my bed. Everything was so hard. I felt so heavy. I felt so sad. Um, thinking about being around people and you know them seeing me like that gave me a lot of anxiety Um, I didn't want to try anything new uh, because it would draw attention to myself Um, I didn't want to really move and I felt insecure and powerless and um, you know my depression was so bad and so heavy that I would try to write about it you know I think online there's even still my whole blog about it but I um, would try to write about it and I actually watched this um, this TED talk by um, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert and she was talking about how um, you know an entity could be used as a muse to create art right so I was looking for some kind of acknowledgement of this depression that I was feeling because it like on a spiritual level I try not to delve too much into the, the spiritual aspect of things because you know it's really uh, dividing controversial thing <laughs> but you know personally I do believe that there's a you know spiritual realms and things to be aware of when I say that I don't associate myself with any sort of new age um, anything anything cheesy crystals tarot cards I'm not into any of that shit um so um I watched this TED talk and uh she talked about a constructive way 
of using sort of this darkness that I was feeling um, to channel it into some art. And so I actually tried to get, you know, sort of comfortable with the heaviness and the darkness that I was feeling because I just, it wasn't leaving me and, the, and I had to deal with it every day. And so I was trying to be creative about it. But so I was, um, you know, I was painting and, you know, I would take these baths and I remember the only day the only day that I have actually seriously thought about taking my own life because I, I just don't, no matter how low I've been, I've never, I never w would do that. Right. I just knew that I had to be here, you know, for my son. And, um, I just was not going to do that. It seemed cowardly to me and I have, I'm too prideful of a person. Um, and I don't say that proudly. <laughs> I know that pride is not the greatest thing but sometimes it can be a lifeline um so this was the only the only night that I have I felt just crushed and I remember I was listening to this music and I was in a soaker tub in the bath I don't know how long I'd been in there for probably like three hours or something and I was crying and I couldn't stop crying and I was just I was so miserable that I came to the point where I thought that the world would be better off without me, that I seriously considered that, that if I was dead, everybody would be better off. And that is the only point in my life that I've ever believed that because that's such a ridiculous and cowardly thing. But reflecting back on that, it's a really sad thing to come to that thought about yourself and to actually believe it it's a very very sad thing very sad feeling and as soon as that thought came over me and I realized that I believed it it, it was even sadder you know I just cried even more and so that was really hard for me you know I, I don't think I could bring myself to do it because I just had a son like I, I had a son he was six or seven at the time or something and um, and I just, I knew I couldn't physically do it, but for me, it's all about my mind. My mind is, you know, this, this, um, huge, huge muscle in my life. It's like a huge superpower. It's just very complicated and very strong. I have a very strong mind. And so when my mind sub succumbed to that, I believed it in my mind. It was almost just as painful as if it was about to happen. And so um, that was what that sort of looked like, uh, for me during that time. And, um, I remember getting so sick. Oh yes. Uh, I forgot about this. So I got so sick that I could not move. It was for a week. I don't know what was wrong with me. It was a cold or something, but I just, I could not move. I was not eating anything. I was just barely there. Um, and my ex-boyfriend actually uh, came over from the mainland to come and take care of me. And he, you know, made me soup and like sat me up in my bed and literally fed me from a spoon because I was just defeated. I was done. I could not, you know, and then, uh, you know, I've, I've always sort of carried around a bit of trauma from, I wouldn't say anymore, but from, you know, my, my 
very first relationship, my very first relationship was a very abusive one at 17 for three years by a man that was older than me, seven years older than me, my, my son's father. And, um, and that was a very traumatic, traumatic thing for me. And so at this point, I think I was still really, you know, in my PTSD and really carrying that around as well. And so I was just under the weight of so much, right? So I've got PTSD, um, really critical insomnia. I'm starving. I'm sick. I have anxiety. I'm depressed. Um, it was, you know, like a a miracle that I (laughs) made it out of there. And so, um, and it's funny because the, this happened during like a winter time over there. They don't really get winter, but, um, during that time and, and because of all that happened during that time, the following years during the winter on the island, I started getting triggered because it felt like the same environment weather-wise. And so I would get these, these triggers, which are really weird. Triggers are strange things or they can be, um, I'm not sure if they would be PTSD or something, but I would get a flashback. Um, and it was such a surreal thing. Um, you know, I remember distinctly this flashback that I had, I think it, it was a year later and, and all of a sudden I was in my room and I don't remember what it was that triggered me. I think I like opened up the sliding door. I used to have a sunroom and I think the, the winter air or something came in and it was some kind of smell, something. And then all of a sudden it felt like, like I was out of my body or out of my head. I didn't feel like I was in my body and everything just sort of felt surreal. Like I wasn't actually here in my life. Like, like I was slipping away and I had to, I had the thought and I started breathing really heavily and hyperventilating because I was fucking freaked out. And I had the thought to put my feet on the floor to try to feel the ground beneath me to, to give myself the sensation that I was actually here, you know, in this, in this world, in, in my room. So I put my feet on the floor and I just tried to get a hold of my breathing. And, you know, this would be one of those moments where I called my mom, I told her what I was feeling and she just talked me through it um, so that I could calm and control my breathing you know, and, and she would get those phone calls. I'd call her and be like, I don't know what's going on. I can't breathe properly. I'm really upset, you know, and, um, and she would talk me through it and I would calm my breathing down. I've had a lot of panic attacks in my life like this, where I've started, it usually starts from when I, I start crying and then I start really hyperventilating and I can't calm myself down. And it just feels like I'm disappearing from the world. Um, and so, it was interesting because it was triggered by having that experience with that, you know, in that environment. And so getting some sort of sensory, some sort of sensation that was reminiscent of that previous environment triggered me into this weird, um, triggered psychosis. And I've dealt with various forms of all of these things for a solid 10 years, right? I've, I've been in and out of really massive, heavy, crippling depression. Um, you know, I've, I've had, like I said, many panic attacks, a lot of anxiety, um, you know, sleeping issues, uh, sleep paralysis is a a huge one as well. I had sleep paralysis anytime I'd sleep with light, uh, the light off, uh, for, for 10 years. I talk about that in, in one of my episodes, it'll have it in the title there, but 
So, you know, I had to, I was going through all kinds of stuff and I had to figure it out because nobody was there. Nobody, nobody was there. I had, you know, and, and to, to a degree that was my choice, right? I moved away from home when I was 17, but that's because I, I really did not have no, nobody was supporting me in any way. I just figured out at an early age that I was going to be the only one that was going to take care of me. So I was going to live my life the way that I wanted to live it. And so um, I had to figure this out on my own, right? No therapist, no medication ever in my life, no therapist ever in my life. Um, you know, I had, and, and the pressure was on because I had a little one to take care of, right? I had no dogs at this point, but you know, I needed to be a competent person to take care of my child. So I had to fucking figure it out. The pressure was on that, you know, it's not acceptable. You have to, you have to be there all or nothing. And so I had to try all different kinds of things. So when I'm telling you that this has worked, please seriously consider it. I had to fucking figure it out. And trust me, I'm not going to use something that doesn't work. I'm not going to, I, that's why I don't feed into a lot of the, the, you know, the bullshit remedies nowadays, because the truth is that they really don't work. Most of the time, it's just the placebo of your own mind. If somebody, and if somebody's a real good salesman and they have a leader-esque qualities, you know, people like to follow leaders if they're confident. Uh, that's a fact. I've watched it. And if you are a confident person, salesperson or whatever, you can sell. You can get people to buy your stuff and to believe in your, your, your swing, whatever the fuck it is. So before I get to the remedies, we're going to talk about how we pacify ourselves with vices, um, you know, which is, which is the wrong thing to do. But let's talk about that first because it's the easiest thing to do right? It's a lot easier to escape your own brain than to sit with your feelings and work through that shit. The monotony, the monotony alone. So I have never been addicted to anything. I don't have an addictive personality. Um, I used to smoke on and off, but it's just, it's just something I used to do socially, especially when I was younger. Um, I've always just picked it up and dropped it whenever I wanted. Um, I've tried recreational drugs and it's the same thing. It's just a social kind of thing. I feel like I have an alter ego and I can jump into that and have fun, right? But then it's just like I can jump right back into my own skin and, you know, do a cleanse, say a prayer and <laughs> get back to that person. Um, but, oh, and that's an interesting thing to talk about as well. Like the polarity between those two types of persons, people and, and, and why that's so extreme in some people um, that grow up with religion. I want to talk about that too, because that's something that I've talked about with a girlfriend who also grew up religious and uh, something that's really interesting. But so let's get that back to that later. Um, so I've never been addicted to anything. I've, I've tried recreational drugs um, and, you know, alcohol is something that I think I've used throughout my life because it is so um, it's it's pacifying for my brain. Um you know, I mentioned that, <clears throat> you know, I, I can't, I can only say that it feels like my brain is like on fire all the time. Like I am so, I'm taking, I try to explain this in other podcasts, but, but I am so hyper aware of everything. And 
I've said before how this is a trauma response originally, right? Because when you're, um, you know, when you, when you can't predict when bad things are going to happen to you, it makes you hyper aware of your environment because you want to be able to keep yourself safe. It's just sort of a mechanism that switches on. So you, your brain does its best to do that by trying to take in the data and predict things that are going to happen to try to keep you safe, right? So, but it's not like I can just turn that off once the threat is gone. It's something that stayed with me. And I think even more so because I really embraced it. Um, I really dove into psychology and I dove into writing my thoughts out and making these connections. And then I would get this, you know, uh, dopamine hit from (laughs) seeing my predictions just like kind of line up before me. I would have a sense about this person. I could predict what that was, what was going to happen here. Um, Even in my dreams, I have symbolic and and premonition um, kind of dreams and I have all my life and so I have this ability to make connections in my brain and it's always working and it feels I feel like I'm almost over overstimulated all the time right so when I have when I drink alcohol it just makes my brain quiet <laughs> that's literally all it does is it dumbs down my brain a little bit and then I can actually relax. I don't feel overstimulated. So, you know, I mentioned before, I never had, you know, uh, half the time doctors that I could access or saw regularly. So anyways, um, I didn't have access to all this stuff and I had to figure out a way, you know, like a short-term remedy, just something that would work so that I wouldn't go insane and um, or explode in my case, right? Too much stimulation. It's just like, that's a lot when you don't have a release, when you can't relax, when you can't like get rid of the tension, right? So this, I adopted these sort of this short, this short-term remedy um, of using alcohol sometimes. Sometimes I would use it to sleep, right? And sometimes I would use it if I was angry. I think that's the biggest one is like, you know, I think that being angry is something that's common when you're dealing with uh, trauma and PTSD and and a really stretched thin plate, right? Because it's just like, it's like, it's tension, right? It's tension in the body and too much tension just makes you angry when you have no release. So an important thing we're going to talk about is, is release later. I have used <laughs> alcohol that way. And of course, I'm aware of this. You know, I don't think that that's a good thing. I don't think it's, I don't think it's good to use anything out that your body can't fix on its own, you know, like that you can't solve yourself with your, with your own help, right? Like, that's why I don't really agree, like, you know, using weed to put you to sleep or, you know, oh, I need to do this psychedelic to experience emotion and vulnerability, you know, like you have those capacities within yourself. So I, I'm always really cautious when people say that they need that to, to experience that, right? I think you should be able to do that on your own first. I think that your best moments in life should be in your sober, sober mind and sober body. Those should be your best moments in life. Not when you got high at a festival and you watch the sun coming up, you know, tweaked out of your mind on acid with a bunch of friends and you're like that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen best moment of my life hands down I think that's a little fucked up so I'm really cautious with the way that people talk about these things I do know that they're beneficial 
um, in some cases, and they're good learning tools, and I'm all for that. Um, but it you have to be able to come to a place where your body and your mind is healthy enough, where you are experiencing the peaks of your life in your sober body and in your sober mind. So alcohol for me was a huge one in terms of being able to pacify myself and calm myself down because that's what it was more about for me. It was just being able to relieve tension, to relieve tension because I get so overstimulated by things and being in the position that I was and that I am, it's just being a single mother is very overstimulating, especially for me. Another thing that I found to be particularly interesting is that when I was with the right partner that I deeply, deeply loved and we were making love all the time, that release was also very pacifying for me. I was much more balanced as a person, much healthier. And so it was always about the tension in my body being able to release somehow. Now, I'm not out here telling anybody to become chronic masturbators. <laughs> I don't think that that's healthy either. Um, but then again, who am I to tell you to, what to do with your body? But, you know, um, so, you know, obviously when you're a single mother, you don't always have a partner. You don't always have those options, right? And you shouldn't be doing things that, you know, are bad for you. So what are alternatives to releasing tension? Because I don't know if it's the same for everybody else, but for me, that was the main thing. The reason why I gravitated towards things that would pacify myself, it was to release tension. So what are all the answers to these things? What are the remedies? What works for all of these things? If you are a single mother and you don't have access to, you know, the proper help or support or whatever, or you just want to figure it out on your own, things that you can realistically do for yourself from home. Well, not always physically from home, but so first and foremost, your body has to feel good. Um, you can't be feeding yourself with junk food you can't be sitting around, you know, and then expect to like solve the problem starting from that point. You can't, you know, it doesn't matter how much breath work in the world that you do, how much meditation that you do. If you're not feeding your body properly and you're not exercising it and you're not drinking water, it's not going to work. So I think that an important place to start is make sure, making sure that you have those things in order. If you don't know how to eat healthy, learn learn what that's like. And I'm just going to say this, diets, you know, or, or styles of eating. Okay. Like they're sort of, they can be guidelines, but each body is very individual. There is no one size fits all in terms of a diet that works for everybody, you know, that you should eat this way. You have to listen to your own body and observe what it's doing and how it reacts to things to be able to ta tailor out the diet that works for you. Okay. There, there are things that are guidelines, but you really have, we have individual systems, right? And that can be because, you know, you know, like our body is so complex. Our minds are so complex. There are things that we don't even understand so, so much that we don't understand that's happening in our body. You know, we might have hereditary genes that react to this or like, you know, we have this, this certain type of blood type or, you know, we came from this side of the world where this was an abundance and, and it was, you know, this sort of climate and 
you know, uh, this altitude, whatever the fuck. And so that all kind of like manifests in your genes and determines what works for you and what doesn't. And that's why it's so individual. So, you know, anybody who's trying to sell you on this works for everybody. Oh, I'm on the, I'm a vegan. I'm on a carnivore diet and blah, 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 blah. Like that's great, but use it as a guideline, right? Maybe you, you are that, but then you make this allowance and that allowance because you notice that you feel better with that, right? And I've tried it all, of course. Like <laughs> I was vegan. I was pescatarian. I was vegetarian. Um, so yeah, and now I'm definitely omnivore, but I don't eat dairy or bread or most carbs only unless they're uh, whole wheat. And it's like every once in a while, um, I don't drink anything except for uh, water and coffee. Um, and I don't really eat much fruit either. It's more vegetables and red meat. And I feel amazing. I have to eat red meat. I love red meat and I, and I like it bloody. Like I like really, really bloody raw <laughs> red meat, barely cooked, still beating. And, and I know that I feel the best eating that, right? So I just want to encourage you to find, you know, what works for you. And, and you're, you know, you're not a bad person if you stray off the path of this diet a little bit because you, oh, you allow this and it feels better, right? Like <laughs> it's your body, figure it out. So it's important to start from there, right? And, and I also bring this up because in terms of dealing with tension, right? It's more of a physical thing. If you want to solve it the healthy way, right? By not drowning yourself in booze <laughs> or, um, you know, you, you can't always depend, you can't be reliant on, you know, a sexual release. Um, so the best thing to relieve that tension in your body is cardio, right? I find that cardio has really helped me, right? If I'm, if I'm really pissed off and it, you know what, it's, it's the hardest to do cardio when you're pissed off. Fuck this cardio. I don't want to do this. The last thing I want to do is go for a run and enjoy nature when I'm fucking angry. So I'll admit it's really hard to do that, but it is probably the best thing for you, you know, cause you're, you are sweating, you are working your muscles and there's something about, you know, putting all of that pent up energy, anger, tension somewhere. You have to expel it. You have to get rid of it somehow. You know, I had this ex-boyfriend's mother that uh, made this comment about um, my ex-boyfriend at the time and and he's, a, he's, you know, I've always dated really fit men, usually athletes. And, um, you know, she made this comment. She's just like, uh, he needs to get back into soccer. You know, he's like a, he's like a lion in a cage if he doesn't exercise. Right. And, and that was true. I, I would see it come out if he, he wasn't able to really work himself, then all of that pent up tension came out at me <laughs> and like, you know, everything else in life. So I resonate with that because it's kind of the same for me. I don't think I'm nearly as, you know, maybe not as aggressive, but like in my mind, I'm like, fuck. So, so to relieve tension, the best thing you can do is really run and get that cardio, you know, even better is to lift for sure. Moving your body, right? And anybody who doesn't like, doesn't like to work out. Okay. 
I don't believe in, I don't like anything that's like commercialized. I don't like anything that's mainstream. I am more on the side of thinking that um, to be healthy and super fit um, as a result of your lifestyle, right? Like living it, right? Going for hikes and running in nature and swimming and doing all these activities and just being mobile around your home, constantly moving or whatever, that sort of makes more sense to me than, you know, going to a gym, being in that environment, putting on your squeaky clean runners and, you know, popping in your headphones and putting on your little gym shark outfits, you know, all that stuff. You know, I don't think that you need to go to a gym to get fit, right? That being said, if that's not your avenue, you, I do think that you need to have some equipment at home, something heavy, something heavy to lift, pour some fucking concrete or something. You need some weight. So, you know, um, yeah, I'm certainly not saying that, you know, as a single mother, I, lots of you are in, in destitute and you, you don't, you can't afford certain things, maybe not a gym pass. And so there's alternatives, but working your body somehow, whether it's through lifestyle, working out at the gym, home gym, whatever, it's essential. It is essential. Okay. There's clarity. There is release. There is release. And I think having release is so important to a single mother. You have to be able to release <laughs> and in a healthy way and in a self-reliant way, right? Our whole thing is being comfortable, being self-sufficient and independent, right? Codependency when you're a single mother is just, it's not I would, well, I would dare say that it's not a good thing, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you how to live your life, but it, it's a lot, um, it's, it's a big ask, right? If you're going into a partnership and you're a single mother, it's, it's a big ask from somebody, right? So I think that being able to do most of everything on your own and, and learning that and getting comfortable with that first and foremost is important. So moving on, um, Things like meditation and breath work, um, yeah, yeah, sure, can can all be very beneficial. <laughs> Let me tell you why that hasn't really worked for me. Um, it depends on the environment. It absolutely depends on the environment. Can I sit in my own house and sit there and meditate? Absolutely fucking not. I am going to get distracted by everything that I see in the house that needs to be done. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down and I'm going to get a whiff of, you know, dog or something. And I'm going to be like, fuck, I need to vacuum and I need to wash all this and this and this. And I'm going to hear little noises and I'm going to, you know, w wonder who's getting into what. And like, it's just way too distracting. And so applying that pressure to myself, oh, I should be able to sit here and meditate and calm my ass down, you know, in this house. That's not fair. That's not fair. You're programmed 24 hours a day to be aware of that shit. You can't expect to sit down and be like, okay, let's just turn it the fuck off and meditate now and be calm. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> At least it does not for me. And so it's kind of the same thing with breath work, right? When, when you're doing breath work uh, and it's sort of the same meditational thing, you're sitting down, you're focusing on your breath. Um, it's like, I can't focus in that environment, you know? So so the thing about that is the only time that I'd be able to do something like that is if I'm, you know, sitting out in the yard or sitting in nature or go for a walk or something, right? But again, I'm not going to be able to relax and do that if I don't know that my house is going to be able to remain 
uh, like not in chaos while I'm gone. If I, if I can be completely sure that everything is at peace and everybody, nobody's going to die, you know, then I can focus on that. Right. Um, if I can't, it's not going to work. I'm going to go to the park and I'm going to be like, what the fuck is going on at my house? You know, like I'm just thinking about all the things that could happen because it's my responsibility. I'm holding the ship together. Right. If I decide to go and meditate and somebody dies or turn on turns on the gas burner and the house blows up, right? Like whose fault is that? It's my fucking fault. Shouldn't have gone for that walk to the park. <laughs> so, you know, it depends on the circumstances for that. Um, I would say that something that has really helped for me um, in terms of being able to focus on something and calm myself down, right? This is if I'm taking care of my body, that's sort of the next step, right? Another remedy that helps for me, and I, I would argue would help for anybody if you really try and you sit down and you do it, is to write. Get a journal, get a nice little pretty journal or don't, just get random piece of paper or whatever, but um, to make it more stimulating for you, well, for me, I have a calligraphy set. I have a specific journal that I write down everything in. You know, this journal knows all my deepest, darkest secrets. Just kidding. I don't have many of those anymore. But they're all different colors. And I sit there and I write every single thing that comes to mind that I feel like writing. And, you know, uh, sometimes I, I talk to God. You know, I'm whatever I conceptualize that to be at this point in my life. But um, sometimes I'll, I'll write out, God, this one's for you. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll, you know, write it out in a prayer to him. And sometimes I'll address it to my journal. Most of the time it's to my journal, but if I'm, yeah, most of the time. So I will practice calligraphy and handwrite and write in my journal and focus on my thoughts. And I will take the time to do that. And I try to do it every day. And I find this to be so calming because if I wake up and I've got all these thoughts and frustrations in my head and I have no one to talk to about it, right? That's going to build tension. So I sit there with my journal and I write and I get everything out and I do feel better after that. Okay. And I'm a no bullshit person. I'm telling you, it feels better. We're still on the topic of alleviating tension from the body. So I would like to suggest something else that works for me, which is why I have three dogs. Um, they are my oxytocin. I love my dogs to death. I have three Huskies, three generations. I've raised puppies. My dogs are my everything. And I have such a close bond with them. I treat them as equals. Huskies are very intelligent, very intelligent animals. I relate with a lot of their attributes. I've learned a lot about myself through my dogs and I've learned about my dogs through myself. I have a very complicated brain, remember. So my dogs are my my hit of oxytocin, right? People for me have never really been a comfortable thing. Like I am not as comfortable expressing physical affection with people unless they're my partner. And you know, with my dogs, I get to do that. And so I have that part of me satiated and that's very calming for me, right? These dogs also stay by my side everywhere I go, right? I, like literally I walk into the house and two of them are at my side. I go into my bedroom, one goes down one, one side of the bed, one goes down the other and they just plop down and they lay there. I get up, I go to the bathroom, both of them follow me and they sit outside the bathroom door and wait for me to be done. Like 
they're always there. And, um, and when I'm petting them, right, I love, I love giving them attention, physical attention. I love the uh, affection that is shared between us. And I really deeply believe that that does a lot for me because I am so, I don't know, I just learned to kind of, I adapted to keeping a distance with people because of the things I've been through in my life. So my dogs play an important part to my health in that I can um, have sort of a regulation of hormones in the bond that we share. So pets, pets are pets that you can cuddle. Like, you know, you can't cuddle a goldfish, so I wouldn't recommend getting that for your health. But I mean, goldfish are cool too, right? Like that's very stimulating for the mind. But in terms of physical touch, right? Like I said, I think it's very important to learn how to be self-reliant. And so, you know, not having to depend on a partner and a partner is not always going to be there to give you that physical attention and that touch, right? And of course, we can get this from our kids, but sometimes you need a little bit more, right? If you're, you just put your kid to bed and you're going to sleep yourself, right? I got my big fluffy fucking husky, three of them that I can just be like, come here, you (laughs) and just, and just cuddle them in my bed before I go to sleep. And it's incredibly uh, tension relieving and relaxing. And so I think that that's a, that's a great thing if you can get a pet. However, do not get a pet and be one of those people that gets rid of the pet just because you have to move into a place that doesn't accept pets. Okay. That's absolutely the most ridiculous bullshit I've ever heard in my life. I would rather live in a tent outside with my three dogs and I would make it fucking work rather than give up on them or, or shirk my responsibilities to them. That is a commitment you know, that's loyalty and no pet deserves that. So please don't do that. If you do get a pet, commit to it. Okay. There are places that you can find to live that will be accommodating of the pets. It just means that you have to adjust your lifestyle. You have to take that hit in the chin. Okay. So please don't be one of those people. Those are a few suggestions for relieving tension. I'm going to move on to overall self-care. Okay. So this is more just about taking care of your body further than you are in terms of what you're eating and physically exercising and relieving tension. Okay. So I think that there's a very important part, very important aspect to to being a woman and retaining your femininity um, when you're a single mother and just really doting on yourself and giving attention to yourself in in sort of the same way that you would like you know, if you're, you have a partner, you want to dress up for them, right? Um, you take care of yourself to a certain degree to feel appealing and, and sexy and to have self-confidence. And I really, I know that you should be doing this for yourself. You should put so much energy into yourself that you are doing it to the best of your ability. And so I call it preening. And the reason why I call it preening is because, well, what is preening? Have you ever seen a bird and they do this preening process where they go through every single feather and they're cleaning themselves just feather by feather and they spend a lot of time doing this, preening themselves, right? So I really try to become immersed in this, okay? The whole 10 yards, I'm talking about even when I'm plucking my eyebrows, right? I get that mirror and I just relax into it and I pluck those eyebrows to the best of my ability. And I'm just really taking my time doing it and enjoying, you know, the process. 
you know, um, I have some uh, body butters that I really love. I'm really huge on body butters. I have like a collection of them. I don't even use them a lot of the time, but like I just like this little collection of body butters because they smell so good and they feel like my little treasures. <laughs> I think everybody's got their thing, right? And just do what your thing is. So for some people, it's makeup. I don't like makeup. I don't like the way it feels in my face. And I think it's also kind of just very superficial. I don't like anything that's not real. <laughs> so, um, but if that's your if that's your thing, I completely understand. It can be a very creative, artsy thing. A lot of girls are into makeup. So if that's your thing, go for it. Um, you know, get some nice smelling shampoos and conditioners, things that you really enjoy. If you're not in the position to do that yet, then maybe change your attitude about the stuff that you do have and just enjoy the, the fact that you are washing your hair, you're cleansing it. Really think about it. I, like the whole idea of preening is to sort of get into this very focused state, very focused meditative therapeutic state where you are taking your time on your body and you're really enjoying the process whatever it is shaving your legs brushing your hair um you know plucking your eyebrows putting your makeup on uh, brushing your teeth whitening your teeth um you know whatever it is that you're doing just really take the time to love yourself to give yourself attention to look at yourself and feel good about yourself you know, like it is just something that needs to be so incorporated into your life, right? Try to look nice. Try to put clothing on that you feel really um, good wearing. It makes you feel feminine. It makes you feel attractive. Um, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be just about comfort and functionality all the time, right? You should really try to retain um, your femininity. I think that's important, right? If you're just wearing sweatpants, all the time and you're not you know putting any effort into yourself and that just becomes the norm then I just think that it's going to become more and more acceptable for you to not to not care and I just don't think that that's good for the longevity of your health as a woman a young vibrant woman right just because this is a difficult time in your life doesn't mean that you know that part of you should just die altogether right it's something that you should work on the same with um, every other way that you're trying to evolve right so I think that's really important. And also because, you know, we're, we're sort of set at this default of our, our cup is never going to be full enough. It's, it's always going to be in deficit because you're a single mother and we're stretched so thin that you're always sort of going to be in deficit. So as much as you can, as much as you can do to fill that cup, every, every chance you get to put some attention and something back into that cup, is an opportunity and you should take it right it's very important to try to you know fight the impossible battle you can't just admit defeat even if it's impossible and you know it you still have to get up and try you still have to try because you know what happens when you ad admit defeat right then that cup eventually gets to the bottom right rather if you keep on trying that it always sort of stays half full at least it's better than giving up and losing everything so what are the real things that work for depression and anxiety? Um, in depression, it is like monotony and heaviness and everything feels the same. And you have trouble getting excited about things or getting ambitious. Um, everything just feels so slow and hard and pointless and you feel useless and it's just blah. 
it's just a whole bunch of blah. Um, I have found that when you start your day, I think this is important just to start your day in general, not only when you're depressed, but I find it's really beneficial to drastically change your sensory environment first thing in the morning because it makes you uncomfortable immediately and it sort of it sort of shocks all your senses right if you're kind of used to this drawl of the of the bedroom and the house air and whatever right rather than when you immediately take your your dog for a walk or go for a walk first thing in the morning you're outside all of a sudden there's different air there's different things to look at there's different sounds um, and everything kind of wakes up right? If you're a little bit chilly, your body is uncomfortable, it's shivering, right? Everything sort of wakes up if you drastically change the environment of your senses, right? So, you know, that could be, I think that's why a cold plunge is really beneficial because it makes you uncomfortable and it drastically changes your senses. You jump in there and you're just like, whoa, everything is awake now. Everything feels different. There's such a a switch from how everything felt to my body a second ago versus now. And so, you know, that's why I don't know it's just taking a nice hot shower when you wake up is like it sounds very relaxing <laughs> you just woke up from a very relaxed state of sleeping and then you're just gonna go relax some more in the nice hot shower it's not really it's not that jolting difference for your senses to wake up and to be uncomfortable right and it's sort of like when you kind of set the bar, right? So you wake up, you make yourself uncomfortable immediately, right? So think of it as a bar and it shoots right up. There's the bar. You're uncomfortable. You're you're as uncomfortable physically as you're going to be that day. It makes everything else in that day easier, feel easier because it's not as uncomfortable as that one moment, right? So, and this really works. This really works mentally. I'm going to go off on a whole thing about fasting a lot of people hear that word and <laughs> like my roommate, it's a, a new roommate. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm fasting. I, I just completed a 45 hour fast. Unfortunately, I wanted to go for four days, but I had to cut it short. Um, but I'm like, oh, I'm fasting. And he's just like, oh, you're starving yourself. <laughs> well, yes, but it's not about that. Fasting is so beneficial. I know I'm going to have so many people chirping at me going, you're not a, you know, a nutritionist, fucking scientist, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I have read a lot about this and I have fasted a lot in my life. So I'm coming at you from this position. And like I said, I don't like bullshit remedies. So I wouldn't speak on something that does not work. Right. And for this, for fasting, it, it fucking drastically works. It is, it's amazing. It's an amazing tool. So the idea with fasting is that um, your body, so you're getting fuel throughout the day to eat, right? And when you are not eating and you have to make sure you drink lots of water, okay? Dry fasts are for experienced fasters only. That's a lot more controversial and you cannot go as long when you're dry fasting. But um, so you want to fast with water. Do not attempt dry fasting if you are not inexperienced faster (laughs) or unless you've read a lot and whatever all the disclosures talk to your physician blah 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 you want to be drinking lots of water right and the idea is that when your body doesn't have the regular fuel that it has through food right what it does is it will not only 
go for your fat stores in your body, but it will eliminate anything that doesn't belong there first, right? So we have a lot of toxins that build up and our, our body stores it in our fat, right? And you have just, just toxins that build up everywhere in your body, right? And when you're fasting, your body will target in desperation anything that it can get rid of. First, it will go for your fat and then it will start going deeper and it repairs um, cells in your body. It rejuvenates you. It, it just, it completely disintegrates all the shit that shouldn't be there, right? So, and what it does is it also takes a lot of stress off your digestive tract and which can do wonders for inflammation. So I recently just completed a 45 hour fast and the first day is always the hardest because you're used to eating food constantly and that is going to be extremely uncomfortable for you at first. You're going to have these hunger pangs and you're just like, oh my God, like you get wafts of food. You're just looking at shit that would never normally seem appealing, right? Like a can of beans. You're like, holy shit, I would kill somebody to eat that can of beans right now. But it's also rewarding because if you can control your mind in those moments, it feels extremely good. It is very empowering. I'm telling you, it is a very empowering feeling to be in control of yourself that way, right? And it will pass. Usually what I do when I feel really hungry is I go and down as much water as I can to fill up my belly and then I'm better. Sometimes I'll put a little bit of Himalayan salt in my water as well. And um, that just makes me feel a little fuller and it takes away that hunger, right? And there will be a few of those moments where you feel like you're going to die if you don't eat, (laughs) but they go away, I promise. And so um, the first day is always the hardest, but you start getting a little more control. You have a little bit more comfort over it. Um, The next day I've done a longer fast before and the next day, right? And so, so it takes all that, that tension off of your stomach and let me tell you, I felt amazing. Slept like a baby the first night and I woke up the next day and my stomach had had nothing in it. It was relaxed and I noticed all my inflammation was gone and I had so much clarity of thought, like all the cloud even in my head had been eaten up by this fasting process. It was, it felt so good. So, you know, I fast when I'm trying to get control of my weight because I can gain weight very easily and I can lose it very easily. That might be because of my genes. I have a lot of obesity in my family, but it's something that I have to be conscious of. So, you know, I've put on a little bit of weight since I've been here and, um, and I, and I don't like it. (laughs) I don't like it. It makes it a lot harder to fit into all the clothes that I have. Right. So lessens, it decreases the amount of stuff that I can wear. And that alone is annoying. Because, you know, I can't always afford to go out and buy new shit or whatever. So, and I just like being thinner. I find, um, I feel my best when I'm thinner. I have more energy. I'm a lot lighter. So whatever. I like being thinner. So I wanted to torch a little bit of fat and it was extremely helpful. I only had to break my fast because I've kind of struggled with iron deficiency all my life. And I did not load my body up with enough iron when I started the fast, um, and so I started feeling a little bit numb in my arms and I was like, oh, I should probably can this and eat a bunch of iron and nourish my system. But, you know, after the end of 45 hours, it did wonders for me. And I'm continuing on a, uh, 22 hour fast and then a two hour eating window. So that means I have two hours, uh, 
to to eat within that time frame each day in the evening and um you know and a lot if if i'd like just load up on calories right and then you have the whole day to sort of burn it off and i'm getting my body into this rhythm and so this feels amazing for me granted if you're not used to fasting um, you kind of do for that first initial day, you have to be mindful of the schedule that you have. Don't do it when you've got a whole bunch of stuff to do. If you can take a day where you sort of decrease everything you do and you can sort of relax, then do that because it's going to be a little bit hard. You might feel a little bit lightheaded. You know, when your body starts torching fat as well that holds toxins in it, then it's it's brought into your bloodstream and you can kind of get, um, what do they call it? Uh, it's like um toxic sick or something i can't remember because it's it's all expelling into your body again right it's all going into your body before being expelled again right so it can cause like some mucus and maybe a little bit of nausea or whatever because your body is torching all that fat and those things are entering your body again before it's getting expelled so so it's a good idea to really uh plan your first day at least um of fasting but i swear by this you know, if you're feeling, if you, if you know that your diet has been really poor or you've been drinking a lot or whatever, it's an extremely effective reset. Or if you're just feeling very depressed or cloudy headed, which is something that, you know, I get a lot with my hormonal cycles when I'm PMSing, I'm like, oh my God, I can get the worst brain fog ever. And it's an extremely effective tool for clarity of the mind and and of the body. You just, you feel amazing. I can't say enough about it. Fasting is the easiest way to heal yourself, I would dare say, of of many, 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 many things. So the last thing I'm going to throw in there uh, before I say goodbye for today is dealing with insomnia. Because this one is really, really frustrating. And it, again, adds tension. When you're sleeping, you are doing the most in-depth healing from the day right? Your, your body is taking everything and it's refreshing you, right? It's like the internet <laughs> when you, when you go to, go to Google and everything freezes, right? You, you hit that refresh button, every, all the, everything's brand new all of a sudden, like just like that, poof, right? So when you're going to sleep, your body's doing the same thing. And not only that, but it's repairing everything. It's healing. It's deeply healing. And it's so essential to get a proper sleep. Sleep is very underrated. Sleep is like the secret weapon aside from fasting, I swear. But sleep is something that we need every day, every day. And so it is very frustrating when you cannot sleep. For me, um, my mind, I think for a lot of people, right? <laughs> At night when I can't sleep, I'm just suddenly I'm thinking about every stupid thing I've ever done in my life. And <laughs> in this like, I'm circling the drain with all my negative thoughts and I'm just, oh my God, I can work myself up so much and build the tension even worse. Um, so there is kind of all the things that I'm sure you have read about how to curb insomnia. I would say that the things that have really worked for me, because I mean, what you'll normally read is like, oh, take a hot bath before bed to sort of calm yourself down, you know, read a book so you're not in front of a screen and exposed to bright lights right before sleep, you know, so you can like, you're just calming everything down, right? Make sure you get enough um, physical activity during your day. You know, as a single mother, sometimes you don't, sometimes you have an off day, right? So I would say the quickest way, the most effective way um, that has worked for me is one, 
you know, force yourself to get up early. I like getting up at five. That's my, my comfort. I like getting up with the sun. I think that is the most healthy thing to do. It works for me. So I will force myself to get up early. That being said, if you're having insomnia and you don't get to bed till like two or three, you're not going to get up at five, right? And then the cycle sort of um, restarts itself, right? Because then you're, you don't get to sleep until super late and then you sleep in super late and then you're up super late, right? So it's really hard because it can cycle on like that. So, you know, how, how do you fix that? Um, I have found that there is some sort of meditative mind fuckery that has worked for me. Um, when I'm in bed, right. And the room has got to be completely black, no light in there and no sound. This is how I sleep. And I've found that this thing works for me in my head. So my eyes are closed and I, I don't move my body at all. I focus on completely not moving my body. Once I find a comfortable position, I don't move. And, you know, cause you can feel there's like a certain thing that you get into where you can feel every single little, you know, twitch or whatever of your body. You can tell when it's perfectly still, right? So keep your body perfectly still comfortably. And when you close your eyes, I focus on looking and, and focusing on the blackness that I'm seeing in the distance. Okay. Because I think what a lot of us do is when our eyes are closed, we start thinking of all our thoughts and blah, blah, blah. And our heads get filled with all this bullshit and our eyes are darting around and whatever. There's something to thinking your thinking in your head that you have to focus on the blackness because you're looking at it. You're looking straight ahead. You have your eyes closed. This is, I know this sounds silly, but I swear to God, this is, this fucking works for me. And I'm, I'm out within like 10 minutes. I wake up the next day and I'm like, holy shit, it worked again. I have trial and errored this <laughs> lots and it actually works. Um, very, very few times where it doesn't. And so there's something about being perfectly still, right? And you, you are saying to yourself, you're looking specifically at that blackness right? And you're focused on it and you're always looking at that blackness. And whenever your mind starts going off or whatever, you go, no, I got to continue staring at that blackness, continue staring at it, right? And you focus on never breaking that focus, uh, sorry, focus on the blackness straight ahead in you, uh, ahead of you. It's as, as deep as you can go. You're looking into that blackness and you never shift your focus from that. And then poof, eventually you're asleep. It is, it's so weird. I know it sounds strange, but it's this weird thing that I came across that I discovered that I have trial and error and it actually works. <laughs> but the catch is that when you're keeping your body still and you're doing this, the second that you need to move your body or you, you flinch or something, you restart, right? So, so then you go, oh, okay. All right. Now I'm settled again focus on the blackness, look ahead and just look into the blackness, right? But the moment that you move, it's you're, you're restarting, right? Your, your body's suddenly awake now and you got to restart. So that's the catch, but I don't know, man, that's what's worked for me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you can't get up early because you're staying up too late, you have this really active insomnia, um, and you're going through that cycle. If you need something to kind of work sooner than that, that's what I would recommend. But, you know, coupled with that, once you, once you can get up 
very early, that's a very effective way to tire yourself out more during the day is to just just get up earlier. You know, if you wake up at like nine or 10, then it's just, you're going to stay up later. It's just kind of common sense. So um, I should probably cap this off here. I hope that I have provided enough realistic tools um, to help some of you out there. These are the things that have worked for me. Thank you for your time today and I will see you next time.